The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hi, I'm Rebecca Lowe, host of NBC's coverage of the Premier League. Welcome along to the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast, where you can get the latest can't-miss content from NBC's coverage of one of the best leagues in the world. Plus, be sure to tune in on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern for Premier League mornings on NBCSN. But for now, we hope you enjoy the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. Robbie, watching Norwich today, because they are the story, they didn't look particularly up for it. Is that a, a no-crowd thing? What is that? Well, I think it's a, it's a, it's a variety of things, Rebecca. Um, the crowd it is an impactful thing. When you're struggling at the bottom end of, of any table, I guess, you need the home support. Now, there's elements where sometimes the pressure will get to some of the players, but mostly you need your home support in difficult moments. We saw a little bit with Villa. As soon as the going starts to get a little bit tougher, they haven't got that support to drive them forward. The away team take control. Exactly the same today. Way, way different in terms of quality, but often the home support will make the home team that little bit closer to become more of a competitive game. We didn't see that, certainly in this game, and I think there'd be many other games where the home teams really struggle. We know this happened in the Bundesliga. We're seeing it today. Just not good enough, for, just not good enough Norwich City for this league at the moment. When we talk about Norwich, we talk mm. about Todd Cantwell and Tame yeah. Pukki, and they ended up both <laughs> coming off. It was a shot, Rebecca. I think 15 minutes or so still on, on the clock. They're sitting off. The three points is a big loss. You, we talked this week about club mentality. Could Norwich come into today's game, get a win, and almost, you know, lose some of that relegation fear that they've had over the rest of the season and start afresh. A win today, they'd have been three points from, from the safety line. That is so damaging for a group. All the memories come back, all the fears come back. They're in absolute... I mean, that's one gone for me. Let's go to the tunnel then, or just outside the tunnel, I should say, at Carrow Road and hear from Daniel Farker, the Norwich manager. But first, here is Danny Ings. You, personally, and the team look like you've pretty much hit the ground running. How was it actually out there today? It was good fun. It was, it was <laughs> good, good to fun. be back. Oh, it's great to be back. Um, you know, it's, it's, been a, it's been a long time, um, you know, due to, you know, the reasons going on worldwide, um, which is understandable. And um, you know, to be back out here tonight was, was great, and hopefully we brought joy to the nation as well. You wanted five wins from your last nine matches. It's now five wins from your last eight. But I guess, well, it's still mathematically possible. You've got to be hopeful and have got to look on the positive side. Yes, uh, to be honest, I wanted nine wins out of nine, if I'm, if I'm honest. But uh, we know that we need at least five wins. And, uh, of course, uh, when you lose the first game and during this uh, nine-game uh, spell, it's it's not getting easier. Huh? So it's more like a best-of-nine series. And right now we are now one back. It's not done. Uh, we can still win it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, of course, not easier after, after this game. So we definitely have to have to be um, uh, yeah more solid in our defensive uh, individual duel behavior to be honest in order to um, to use our chances then also and, and to be more effective in in using our offensive situations if we are able to improve then we have a chance um, yeah otherwise it will be difficult Robiel Norwich mm. City simply not got enough talent to stay up coached no. well decent but yeah. not quite enough quality when I looked at the two 
squads and teams were back and before ball was kicked. I think I said to, to Robbie Musto, Southampton is a lot better than Norwich. And it showed out, it played out in, in the game. And the big thing for Norwich today was they could have almost forgot about what we call the, the first part of, of the season, the, the 29 games that have gone. And, and we talked about club mentality. A win today gives them a freshness, some hope, a different feel around the football club. A defeat puts them back where they were looking at the rest of the league, knowing they're running out of games, and in all honesty, just not good enough. Early June, Southampton tied Ralph Hasenhurtle down to an extended contract, a four-year, I think, in total. How important that they've kept him and he's committed? I, I think it's important for continuity. The team has been very hot or cold this season, very streaky, good runs, really bad runs. They'll be worried they're gonna, they need to find a replacement for Pierre-Emil Hoiberg in midfield. Uh, Danny Ings, I still think, will court attention from some of the big clubs that they can. That he's a proven goal this scorer. This summer, do you think? Yeah, mm -hmm. he's 27 years of age. He's right in his prime. He's guaranteed Premier League goals. Uh, I'm sure the Southampton fans will absolutely understand the importance. It's him that they're still in this division. Their defensive record's really bad, but he, um, yeah, he, he's done a remarkable job. Just back on Norwich, Rob. Just when you come into the Premier League, you've got to raise your game. You've got to raise your game. You've got to liven up. You've got to improve. They didn't do anything in the transfer market. The young players maybe didn't kick on as much as the club thought they would have done and just haven't been good enough over the, the course of the season. So 1-1 then, it finished between Tottenham and Manchester United. Robbie uh, Musto and Earl uh, in the studio, just getting used to our new surroundings. Um, what is each side going to take out of that one today, do you think, Robbie? Well, well I, think, I think Spurs' first half was, was measured, it was compact, it was strong, they looked, they looked prepared, they looked ready for the game, where United didn't. You know, until the second half before the goals came, or their equalising goal came on thinking, were they prepared for this game? Was their preparation, was the sharpness ready for this? Martial was not sharp, with the defending players weren't sharp. Rashford came into the game in the second half, but you just, we, we don't know how certain teams prepare for this game. And, and then the subs changed everything. Mason Greenwood coming on and Paul Pogba. And that was a much livelier United performance. To be fair to the manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer made some changes tactically and they got the goal they deserved. 1-1 is a fair result for that. United will be a little bit happier, though, do you think? Of course, they're higher up the table. The point's more important in some ways. Yeah, and they, they were one goal down and had to get back into things. Paul Pogba come on and gave them a breath of, of fresh air. That ability to eliminate somebody on a dribble was important. It's interesting, both came in with records. Spurs, six without a win in all competitions. They're now seven without a win. But I think we'll take something from that. United, 11 without a loss coming into the game all competition. That goes to 12. But I just get the sense with Manchester United, there'll be a bit of disappointment that they didn't get the, the three points here and almost really push Spurs down at the moment. Things are still on. And United have Sheffield United ne mm -hmm. next big game at Old Trafford. This is the run-in for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Sheffield United next, as Robbie said. Brighton, Bournemouth, Villa, Southampton, Palace, West Ham and Leicester. They finished in the top four just once in the last four seasons. That was under Mourinho. You would think with this run-in, they stand a decent chance of qualifying for next season's Champions League. Let's hear from their scorer today. Here is Bruno Fernandes. Well, Bruno, give us your take on all of that. The circumstances, the result, the team performance. Oh, I think we, we did very well. It was a difficult game. We start, we start, uh, we start good with uh, our ideas, but they score on the counter. But I think we, we were, we are all, all, all the time in the game. We score. We have a lot of chances to score more. Uh, it's not enough for us because we want, uh, we want to win in every game. But uh, I think it's a good result. Uh, we are not happy, but it's a good result.
A few moments ago, Jose Mourinho over for a word or two with some of his old players at United, where he spent two and a half seasons, of course, winning the Europa League and the League Cup. And here he is with his post-match interview. Jose, happy, unhappy, how's all that left you feeling? Happy and happy. Happy with things and happy with others. Oh, you've stopped. Yeah. <laughs> what, OK, what bits did you like? What did I like? Yeah. I like the team, the team attitude, the team organization, the control, following a plan, uh, being very solid, uh, giving to United what they don't like, and uh, really, really happy with that. And, and happy with, um, with the fact that the way I was reading the game, I had no bench to react to it. Um, with Lucas and Dele, uh, or they would be on the bench, or they would be playing, and then I would have on the bench some of our attacking players, because when um, they become more dominant, because we were quite tired up front, by being tired, we couldn't press was easier for them to build and at the same time we couldn't be dangerous in the counter-attack because we had no legs for that. So it was hard to, to, to manage the game in that, in that sense. I'm not also happy with the, the penalty and I'm not also happy with the second penalty. Okay, first penalty, the one that stood. Yep. Well, you're for unhappy me, with the ref or your defender? I'm uh, unhappy with the VAR. Uh, not with the referee, because the referee in the game uh, can make a mistake, can, can give a cheap penalty, but then the VAR is there to, to do the job, so I'm not unhappy with Moss, I'm unhappy with the, with the VAR. In the second uh, penalty, I'm unhappy with both. Uh, I'm sorry, with, I'm unhappy with Moss, uh, because he didn't give the free kick on Serge Aurier. Uh, he let it go, and then again he gave a cheap penalty, a non-penalty, and uh, in this case the VAR gave the truth in what happened in the box. Some people are never happy. I can't <laughs> quite work out whether he is happy or he's not happy. Um, what did you make of that? Well, I do understand what he's talking about. Later in the game, mm. Spurs looked tired. And as he's saying, United are going on and on and on. He needed some pace. He needed some fresh legs. And Lucas and Delhi would have given that off the bench if they were there just to keep Man United honest a little bit. The pace had gone up front. Son didn't look sharp. Kane was very, very tired. So they had to kind of sit in and they were struggling a little bit. Um, the refereeing, I disagree with him. I think that's... It maybe is a little bit soft, the, the first penalty that stood... I wouldn't have expected VAR to have switched that around. That wasn't a clear and obvious no. error, no. though I thought it was a little soft. So I disagree. VAR, after that, did its job in the second one. Rob? Yeah, I'd agree. I thought Eric Dyer played particularly well today, but he just got caught by Pogba, uh, got beaten on the byline and made, made the push. The interesting point I'd like to make, Rebecca, and we were talking about it off-air, is about the sharpness. We talk about players being sharp. Forward players... The shortness is the last thing that comes. That's like the end of a pre-season. It's that heightened movement. It's that sharp feeling mentally and physically that you can be right. You can't get that in three or four weeks. You can't get that in some isolated training sessions that these group have had. It's going to... Have you seen any sharpness from any forward so far in four games? Danny Ings looked quite Danny sharp. Danny Ings looked quite sharp. But then he was playing against a struggling exactly. team. Bergwijn shows moments. But we've not seen the 90-minute right. intense yeah. shot that right. will take... 
It's going to take two or three games to get to that stage. So we might be sort of three or four games down the road before we see those, what we call, attacking players who can be game-changers going past the, the defenders. Let's get the post-match thoughts of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Disappointed we don't come away with three points. I think it's strange, strange football, because last year we go, uh, well, it was at Wembley, play against Tottenham, and they absolutely battered us for, uh, for the last... Uh, 40 minutes, half an hour, we get away with a win. And today it's quite the opposite. That we, I think we put them on the back foot, press them back, create chances, and I think maybe we deserve more. So that's a, that's a pleasing thing for me, uh, the performance compared to um, the points. Bruno and Paul Pogba together as a midfield going forward will be incredibly exciting for United fans. For you too, as United manager? Of course, yeah. We, we're a club that want the best players in the world playing together. Just need to find a balance uh, of attacking, defending. That's always a key word when you set a team uh, up there. And I think today Paul showed he can play um, with Bruno. And Bruno's, um, again, uh, got a penalty for us and scored a goal. Well, Carl, a really interesting game because we talked about it beforehand. You talked about the rustiness. Not many players can be at the top of their game because of the way things are right now. And Ismail Assar must be so grateful for Craig Dawson because he just looked exhausted, bless him. And then Craig Dawson at least got him out of jail. Yeah, that poor touch that, that, um, that we witnessed. You typically don't see the worst of us because we get to do it behind closed doors as we're getting ready for, for matches. And this is the longest these players have ever gone in their career without playing a match. So there's always going to be rustiness. Um, for for Nigel, Nigel Pearson and Watford, what a massive point to go get because even when they were fit, Robbie Earl, yeah. the systemic issues that came to the side of performing really well and making terrible mistakes late on the game was costing them so many points. So out of the gate to get this kind of morale-boosting point is going to be important. We talked before, Rebecca, and I said, I'll be interested in the attitude of Watford. I mean, that game was gone. Yeah, the spirit, the attitude, that's, that's a massive point for, for the football club. And... Today, I learned nothing new about these two teams. Leicester, good in possession, better on the eye, and we'll get goals when that sharpness comes for people like Vardy. For Watford, they're going to be in a scrap, but they're scrappers. That's the one team I want to be in. If I'm in the bottom six, I want to be on that Watford team. The two goals today, which were two brilliant finishes, came from two defenders. So we talked about that sharpness, centre forwards not being there. Craig Dawson and Ben Chilwell have come up with two smashing goals that gives us a, a point apiece. Well, just how crucial a point could it be won by Craig Dawson? Here is the Watford defender. Craig, that's your first goal for Watford. What a way to score it. <laughs> yeah, it's obviously a, a great goal and an important point for us. Overhead? I mean, it's not something we would expect from a central defender in the final minutes of a game. <laughs> no, definitely not, but it's something you, you practice in training and it probably doesn't go in very often, but uh, delighted with the first goal. I can assume that this is the best goal you've scored. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm not just talking one <laughs> Yeah, obviously a very important goal as well, and uh, I think the, tip, the, the lads worked ever so hard today, and uh, it, was, it was good to get a point in the end. Let's bring you the highlights, the drama from the Amex earlier on. Brighton taking on Arsenal. The story revolving around Brighton forward Neil Mopé, Kyle. Yeah, and a, a moment here where he's just he's going to challenge for the ball and then he's late and, and pushes Leno. In so many scenarios, you just see this as a normal collision, but because he was off balance and landed awkwardly and you can see how upset Leno is, has to be carted off with a serious injury. 
Yep, giving Neil Mope a bit of a mouthful as he is leaving the field of play. Not happy at all with how Mope challenged him into the second half. Nicholas Pepe with a red goal. What a wonderful goal, too. And it's a small window that he finds with that wonderful left foot of his. Dunk, uh, Dunk scored and Brighton thought they got a point. And just Arsenal, terrible on, on this set piece. Just fall asleep for a moment. It's 2v1 in the wide areas. No one goes out to help. And then just a fortunate deflection. But Dunk, just the hungriest in the box to go and put it over the line. And they would have settled for a point, you'd think. But Neil Mope had other ideas. What a wonderful sequence this is. The dummy. The ball back to him, the composure to put it in. That is an excellent finish. A massive, massive result. And, and just at the end here, you thought it was three points and they'll move on. Again, Doozy takes a little bit of a look over his shoulder at Mope. And then Rutch just sticks a little fist out. It's not much. The reason we show it to you is that petulance turns into something that could get Kunduzi in trouble where he reaches up and grabs the neck of Mope after the final whistle. Indeed, the Football Association may take another little look at that moment there. You can't raise your hand and put it around the neck of an opposing player, no matter how angry you are at Neil Mope after the collision and the tackle, I should say, with the goalkeeper earlier on in the day. So Brighton's run in as they now have stretched their... Uh, distance between themselves and the bottom three to five points. It looks like this. It's not an easy run in either. Look at the double bill they've got July 8th, July 11th, Liverpool and Manchester City. So today was all about Neil Mope. Let's get his side of the story, shall we? And we, we saw words spoken at, at the end there with some of the Arsenal players and, and Bernd Leno going off with a with bad injury and, and he was pointing the finger at you when he, when he went off. Did, did you feel that was justified? Uh, not really. I mean, uh, at halftime, I went to Mikel Arteta, their manager, to apologise because I've never meant to injure uh, their keeper. I mean, I just jumped to get the ball, maybe, and when he landed, he just tweeted his knee. So I apologise to their team and to, to him as well. Um, I've been through a bad injury, so I know it's, it's hard, but I never meant uh, to hurt him. But some of the Arsenal players uh, need to learn uh, humility, maybe, sometimes. They've been talking a lot, first half, second half when they were uh, one it up, and uh, they got what they deserved. Villa against Chelsea. Villa took the lead just before the break, Robbie. Yeah, very much against the run of play, but they will take it at the time. Courtney Hawes is the central defender that just reacts pretty well, just turns quickly and finds a way to get it over the line. But Chelsea had started well. They were playing good football. It just, this was the big catalyst here. 55th minute, a couple of substitutions come in. Christian Pulisic there we see come into the game, playing as a left forward, and this is what his manager wants him to do from that position. Come inside, get more goals. It's a really good ball, first of many from Aspilicueta. And that's not an easy finish there. He's kind of reaching a little bit with his weaker foot. Good finish, and Chelsea at that point back in the game. Here's the winner. Olivier Giroud surprised many by getting the start in the game, but... Yeah, it's a good finish. Again, good football from Chelsea. A better position. It's pulled back into the big striker who gets the winning goal. Strengthening their grip on a place in the Champions League for next season. Their remaining fixtures look like this coming Thursday home to Man City. What a game that'll be. Then it's West Ham, Watford, Palace, Sheffield United, Norwich, Liverpool and Wolves to end on July the 26th. Let's hear from the US men's national team star and Chelsea forward Christian Pulisic. Well, Christian, the team needed something, the manager needed someone. Called on the right man, didn't he? Yeah, I'm really glad that I could come in and uh, help the team in any way I could. Luckily, today was with a goal, and obviously it helped us get a good result. Any specific instructions before we sent you on the manager? It was pretty early in the second half. 
Nah, just to go in and help us win the game, really. Uh, nothing special, just to go in and, uh, you know, use my talents, do what I can do. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy I was able to do that. It was said in commentary that it needed a careful finish. It did go quite high into the net, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I actually hit it perfect with my left. Luckily, I got enough on it just to steer it on target, so I'm happy it went in. Well, I don't think anyone's worried at all no. about the title, but perhaps yesterday, and by the way, they had record viewing figures in the UK, five and a half million people watched that game, which is more than anyone's ever seen a game in the UK of a Premier League game. Um, they might have been a bit disappointed. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the game didn't live up to what we hoped it might. Of course, it's a very different Merseyside derby with no fans there, and that's often so much of an edge in this game. I... I'm just a little disappointed with Liverpool. I, of course, I know that they had a long layoff and it's hard to find the rhythm straight away, but I expected a little bit more verve, a little bit more drive at the game because that's what they've been so good at, Rebecca. Driving at the game, finding ways to win. Again, I know that Mo Salah didn't start and the front three wasn't the same, didn't have the same rhythm. Um, I just, when you consider you know, the form before the break, lost a few games, they just lost their edge a little bit. I just think Liverpool fans will want to see it back again Wednesday against Crystal Palace because it can be a special season, a really special season season, breaking records, being thought of as one of the best teams the Premier League has ever seen, I would hate it to kind of fizzle out a little bit um, because we have seen in, in previous seasons that, that sometimes the way that you finish the season can affect your start to the next one. Well, it's certainly going to be a procession to the title and that, as Arlo said, they just need the five points. I can just mm. draw five games and then they win the league. So you do, do you think they know they're going to win it, so finding the motivation to get it done quickly is hard? I, th I think it's a reach to, to say that about this team because they've had this distance for some time and we saw this lack of, of performance not tied to a lack of motivation happening before the break, as Robbie Musto said. And also, you'd have to ask yourself, well, Manchester City are nowhere near the title. How did they find the motivation the other day? Well, their form over the last few months before the break and then, of course, including yesterday's game as well in all competitions, not great. It's certainly not championship-winning form by any stretch. Four defeats, couple of wins, and then the draw against Everton, their neighbours, yesterday. So what does their manager, Jurgen Klopp, make of it? Here he is. Jurgen, what are your thoughts after that, then? Yeah, mixed emotions, I would say. They're happy that the start is done, I would say. Not so happy that we have, through too little injuries, Millie felt slightly the hamstring, not too much, I hope, so that, yeah, of course, Wednesday no chance, but then maybe um, a couple of days or a few days later, maybe Man City again, so these kind of things gel strange toes, so that's not cool. But I liked our pressing, I liked our counter-pressing, I liked our attitude, football-wise, yes, we could have had more rhythm, a um, bit more clear in the things we did. We had, of course, most of the time the ball. And Everton played well. Good organised, good organised, played well. I think we, we, had, we, we were dominant, but they had probably the biggest chance with the, all, all of the blue, um, I would say. Um, they had a really big chance, and um, so we have to admit uh, it's a point, in a way. And we will never be that, I don't know what, snobby or whatever that we don't take an away point so at Everton I, I saw here a lot of games when we played here most of them were slightly rusty and I think well that could have been more and that was today similar but uh, we want to play better football of course but for the first game I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Now, at the start of the match, as we have seen at the start of all 11 games since Wednesday, as the referee blew his whistle, all players, officials and staff took a knee. One of the many ways the Premier League is showing support for the Black Lives Matters movement. Now, listen up to the sound of a plane. 
This was three minutes later. There's the Burnley captain, Ben Mee, and others talking to the referee and pointing to the sky. And this is what they were pointing about. This is what they were talking about. Courtesy of the Guardian Sport editor, James Darp, this picture, White Lives Matter Burnley, written on the banner behind the plane that was flown three minutes into the game over the Etihad Stadium. During half-time, Burnley put out this strongly worded statement. They strongly condemn the actions of those responsible for the aircraft and offensive banner that flew over the Etihad Stadium on Monday evening. They go on. We wish to make it clear that those responsible are not welcome at Turf Moor. This in no way represents what Burnley Football Club stands for and will work fully with the authorities to identify those responsible and issue lifetime bans. The club has a proud record, they say, of working with all genders, religions and faith through its award-winning community scheme and stands against racism of any kind. It goes on. We're fully behind the Premier League's Black Lives Matter initiative and in line with all other Premier League games undertaken since Project Restart, our players and football staff willingly took the knee at kickoff at Manchester City. We apologise unreservedly to the Premier League, to Manchester City and to all those helping to promote Black Lives Matter. Kyle, how do you react to seeing that? You know, it, it's hard to put into words how, how disgusting and ignorant a demonstration like that is. Um, I think it puts into clear focus how important it is for the Black Lives Matter movement to be indefatigable in its pursuit for a more equitable world. Um, I think if you're going to eradicate the stupidity that fuels racism, it's going to take a, a level of solidarity and spirit that has been on demonstration around the world and... Um, it's clear that that level of global support for this movement is going to be needed in order to create substantive change. Robbie, what's mm. your response? Well, we saw the interview with uh, Raheem Sterling with Robbie, Robbie Earle, and he said it was never about just black lives matter or that all lives don't matter. It was about what's happening to black people in, in some communities, and it was about the fight for equality. It's about, you know, that, it, that it's not... It, racism is not acceptable. And I think that's the message... You know, this, it, it makes me feel very, very uncomfortable. Um, I'm sure everybody's got their thoughts and feelings on this, and they're obviously making it clear there. The Burnley captain, Ben Mee, was one of the players at the start of the game talking to the referee and pointing, actually, to the sky. You can hear the aeroplane. He was pointing about the plane that flew over the stadium with the banner behind it stating White Lives Matter Burnley just after all players took a knee in support of Black Lives Matter. Here's Mee. Uh, ben, just how tough a night was that? Um, yeah, it was a tough night. Um, I mean, we can we can talk about football, but it's something you know I, I want to speak about first. That um, the, the the aeroplane that went out before the you know uh, at the beginning of the, the game. Um, I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed to, um, that a small number of our fans that have have uh, decided to to put that around the stadium. Um, completely missed the point. Um, group of lads in there are, are embarrassed to, you know, to see that, and it's not what, what we're about at all. Um, missed the point. The whole thing that we're trying to trying to achieve, trying to do. I think these people need to need to come into the 21st century and and educate themselves, and you know, as, as a lot of us do, and you know, like I say, completely missed the point of the whole thing that, that we're trying to achieve and um, it does not represent what we're about, what the club's about, what the players are about and what the majority of the fans are about, for sure. Um, it's a small minority of people. 
and uh, yeah, I'm really upset that, that that happened. When did you become aware of it then? Did you see it while you were playing or have you just been informed now? Um, literally as we were coming out, um, we heard some, some whispers that it was going to happen. Um, the club tried to, to stop it, but I've heard it's a small number of people um, that have arranged this and uh, I hope it doesn't happen again. Um, you know, like I say, I'm ashamed, I'm upset. Uh, that is associated with with our club, my club, and um, and yeah, it's not something we want to see at all in the, in this game. How, how important is it to say that one fan, a small group of fans, don't represent Burnley fans as a whole? Sorry, but I missed that. how important is it to say that that one small group of fans doesn't represent Burnley fans as a whole? Yeah, it's massively important. It, it, you know, it's it's not right. It's totally condemn it. Um, like I say, I'm embarrassed, embarrassed by it. Misses the point. Misses the whole point of everything. Um, and uh, hopefully, you know, these people can learn and, and be taught, you know, what, what we're trying to do and what, what the whole Black Lives Matter uh, movement is trying to trying to achieve. I mean, you seem really angry. It's, it's part of that. I mean, it happened moments after you just taken a knee to show your own respect. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, you hear the plane above, and you know, I say the players have pulled together, and this is what we want. The majority of fans is, is what we want. We want, you know, equality in in society, in football. Um, you know, as you know, everything, um, whether it be race, religion, um, gender, uh, LGBTQ uh, community um, and the players have all pulled together and, and we want to make a stand um, against these things and, and for people, um, for minorities and, and like I say, it's, it's completely missed the point of what we're trying to achieve. Okay. I think we'll leave it there. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. Ben Mives, he said he, he heard whispers that this was going to happen mm. um, and he clearly believes it was fans of their own club, although he does not want to tarnish every member, every fan of Burnley Football Club with the same brush. Um, it's dominated the post-match interviews and it will dominate the headlines because we're in a stage in history where it has to dominate every news cycle, does it not? Mm. It does, and it certainly helps, of course, when the captain of the football club, Ben Mee, comes out so passionately and speak so strongly condemning it and basically saying this doesn't represent us as a football club. I thought he spoke really well after a game of football, a difficult game of football, but we saw it, and, and Lee Dixon saw it in commentary, there was players that, that surrounded the referee upset about this, and to hear him speak afterwards kind of makes sense because, you know, that, that's something that when you see Burnley written on something like that, it's upsetting, and it, it's upset Ben Mee, and uh, I thought he spoke really well. So far, the statements and certainly what the captain said, it, it is what needs to happen. Quick response, quick condemnation and then action, Kyle. It's not, as you said a little earlier on, it's not just saying this is nothing to do with us. It's also saying, and this is what we're going to do to make things better, to take things forward. Endurance is what, is what it's going to take. Yeah, the action, the immediate action, um, the, the unity that we're seeing... Um, People not only being incredulous or uncomfortable, but proactively against what, what we're seeing. And, um, I, you know, we, we all watched a man murdered, um, George Floyd, who's one name and a long name of people who have lost their lives. And this fight's about that. This fight's about eradicating and cutting out the, the cancer that has metastasized in culture for a very long time. And, and the, the, the fight to do that is going to take a while because wh whoever was behind this not only has missed the point, this is more than naive, ha has decided to try to derail an incredibly positive global movement for, for equality so all lives can matter, right? There's, there's one group that, that needs this support right now, 
because their lives haven't been treated as sacred as everyone else's. So, so to decide to do what was done today is going to take Ben Mee and, and Burnley and everyone else to n- not say, I disagree with that internally, to, to, to speak up. I mean, it's just, and, and to, to continue to use these platforms to say, it, there is no place in society for it. And it's going to take a long time to make sure that there is no comfort in holding beliefs like this that you demonstrate publicly. I think, I think football, sorry, Becca, mm. football also ha- has to have those awkward conversations mm. about the amount of, of black, Asian, or ethnic minorities that are coaching right now. It's just six from that category in 91 professional clubs in England. You know, very limited representation in hierarchies in the Football League or the Premier League, mm. hierarchies of football clubs. No so, black officials. No. So th- that, you know, you talk about a long uh, fight with this, which it's going to be, but there has to be action as well. And Raheem Sterling stressed that, didn't he, straight away, that, you know, it's OK, you know, the protests, et cetera, et cetera, and everybody kind of coming together, but there has to be kind of steps to get to where you're talking, where we can move on from this. Of course, it's going to take a long time, but, you know, English football has got to look at why is there not more representation. Mm. And incidentally, I mean, education does start at home. Incidentally, as far as I can see on the squad list of Burnley, there are no black players in Burnley's squad either. So education starts at home, diversity, equal opportunities, equality. That is all part of as I believe, Black Lives Matter movement as well as being anti-racist and crushing racism. I mean, listen, you're not born wanting to do what they did today with that demonstration. Um, It's it's something that's learned. It's something that's developed. And and we have to get rid of an environment that allows that. And so um, people don't like sport getting involved in society and culture, but there's no greater social justice instrument than this kind of last bastion of diametrically opposed positions. You don't have to agree with everyone. You don't have to um, conform. You don't have to get rid of your opinions. But there are some opinions that aren't welcome because they are treating an an entire group of people you're there to to enjoy, you're there to celebrate or sitting next Mm -hmm. to. And to not understand, at at a basic level, not understand what Black Lives Matter is about is I just I'm, it's so disappointing. I mean, it, it makes you so angry and sad because that should be the easy part is understanding what it's about. How, how to fix it is is the hard part. But they you know, there are people that can't even start with understanding what this movement's about. Hello and welcome along to Premier League Live in the studio today. Robbie Earl, Carl Martino and myself, Rebecca Lowe. We're going to have plenty of time to get caught up on everything on the pitch. But we have to start today with a conversation that needs to be continued after what happened yesterday at the Etihad Stadium. Now, before Project Restart, the Premier League players got together and issued this statement with regards Black Lives Matter. We, the players, they said, stand together with the singular objective of eradicating racial prejudice wherever it exists to bring about a global society of inclusion, respect and equal opportunities for all, regardless of their colour or creed. This symbol is a sign of unity from all players, all staff, all clubs, all match officials and the Premier League. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. Hashtag Players Together. Well, yesterday, just as we've seen at the beginning of every game since the resumption of the Premier League on our screens, all the players, match officials and coaching staff took a knee in solidarity for Black Lives Matter. This was at the Etihad, ahead of Man City against Burnley. Unfortunately, you can hear there 
a plane. And you can see the Burnley players, Benley the captain, pointing to the sky, telling the referee about the aeroplane that flew over the Etihad just a few minutes into the game. This was it, with a banner behind it, the words reading, White Lives Matter, Burnley. This happened just at the beginning of the match, and by half-time, Burnley Football Club had put this statement out. They strongly condemn the actions of those responsible for the aircraft and offensive banner that flew over the Etihad Stadium on Monday evening. We wish to make it clear that those responsible are not welcome at Turf Moor. This in no way represents what Burnley Football Club stands for, and we will work fully with the authorities to identify those responsible and issue lifetime bans. The club has a proud record of working with all genders, religions and faith through its award-winning community scheme and stands against racism of any kind. They continued, we're fully behind the Premier League's Black Lives Matter initiative and in line with all other Premier League games undertaken since Project Restart, our players and football staff willingly took the knee at kick-off at Manchester City. We apologise unreservedly to the Premier League, to Manchester City and to all those helping to promote Black Lives Matter. Well, after the game, this was, of course, one of the biggest topics of conversation for the post-match interviews. Let's hear from both managers, but we'll start with the Burnley captain, Ben Mee. Yeah, ben, just how tough a night was that? Um, yeah, it was a tough night. Um, I mean... We can we can talk about football, but it's something you know I, I want to speak about first. That um, the, the the airplane that went out before the you know uh, at the beginning of the, the game. Um, I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed to, um, that a small number of our fans that have have uh, decided to to put that around the stadium. Um, completely missed the point. Um, group of lads in there are, are embarrassed to you know to see that and. It's not what we're about at all. Um, missed the point of the whole thing that we're trying to trying to achieve, trying to do. I think these people that need to need to come into the 21st century and and educate themselves and you know as, as a lot of us do and you know like I say completely missed the point of the whole thing that, that we're trying to achieve and um, it does not represent what we're about, what the club's about, what the players are about, and what the majority of the fans are about for sure. Um, it's a small minority of people. And, uh, yeah, I'm really upset that, that that happened. When did you become aware of it, Ben? Did you see it while you were playing or have you just been informed now? Um, literally, as we were coming out, um, we heard some, some whispers that it was going to happen. Um, the club tried to, to stop it, but I've heard it's a small number of people um, that have arranged this and uh, I hope it doesn't happen again. Um, you know, like I say, I'm ashamed, I'm upset uh, that it's associated with, with our club, my club, and... Um, and yeah, it's not something we want to see at all in, the, in this game. How, how important is it to say that one fan, a small group of fans, don't represent Burnley fans as a whole? Sorry, I missed that. How important is it to say that that one small group of fans doesn't represent Burnley fans as a whole? Yeah, it's massively important. It, it, you know, it's it's not right. It's totally condemn it. Um, like I say, I'm embarrassed, embarrassed by it. Misses the point. Misses the whole point of everything. Um, and uh, hopefully... You know, these people can learn and, and be taught you know, what, what we're trying to do and what, what the whole Black Lives Matter uh, movement is trying to, trying to achieve. I mean, you seem really angry. It's, it's part of that. I mean, it happened moments after you'd just taken a knee to show your own respect. Yeah, yeah and um, you, know, you hear the plane above and you know, I say the players are pulled together and this is what we want. The majority of fans is, is what we want. We want you know, equality in, in society, in football, um, you know, as, you know, everything, um, whether it be race, religion, um, gender, uh, LGBTQ uh, community, um, and the players have all pulled together and, and we want to make a stand um, against these things and, and for people, um, for minorities. And, 
And like I say, it's, it's completely missed the point of what we're trying to achieve. Your captain's just been on Sky Sports, spoken very, very well um, about the banner. I'm sure you've got something and some strong words to say to echo the club's sentiments tonight. Well, I, I didn't realise what had gone on uh, at the beginning. It was when I got in the dressing room afterwards, the lads mentioned it, that it was on their phones what had gone on. Um, I heard a noise buzzing around, but I didn't know what it was about. So, um, our head of press made me aware immediately the club had sent a statement out, and I can only support that statement and say it's unacceptable. Um, I don't think you can judge the whole town or the club on that, but it's unacceptable. So, as a club, we can only you know apologise and, and say, I don't know what we could have done about it, obviously. I've only just learned about it, but it is unacceptable. Is there a way moving forward that you can do even more to help educate? And I think that's what people are calling for, more education for what is a very, very small minority, but it is a present minority. Well, um, I don't know what the club will, will think about how they can continue to send the message out. You know, we certainly do as much as we can and we work hard in the community. Um, I, I know the, the, the powers that be will look at, you know, ways that we can at least play our part and support um, the good work rather than the people who unfortunately um, have affected things tonight. Do you despair that this message just doesn't get home and people don't want to listen to anti-racism messages? So we are going to change the situation. It, it takes for, for 400 years. So for, it comes from long, long, you know, for a long time ago. It's going to change for one week. So you need time. And then the racism is still there. It's still here. And you have to, to fight every day in our behaviors and condemn the bad thing that why I no, appreciate. He knows. I, I, I never doubt about this. The Sean, Sean Dyke and the captain making a statement on Barley. So like Jurgen said, don't give sometimes importance, you know, for for uh, for this, uh, maybe few people have organized this ban. Important is the, the fight every day. What do you have to do? After the game, Pep Guardiola's player, Raheem Sterling, put this out on his Twitter feed, a picture of what the banner said and hashtag time for change, which is the initiative that he is trying to get behind as well. Andros Townsend, the Crystal Palace player, tweeting still so much work to be done. And Frank Sinclair, used to play for the likes of Chelsea, but was also Burnley captain, wrote this as an ex-Burnley captain. I feel I need to show my disappointment when I saw that sign above the stadium at a club many black players have represented. Please understand, the message Black Lives Matters is for the good of humanity, not just black lives. And that is the theme that we want to focus on today. This morning, our colleagues at Sky put out this video. This is their long-term host, Mike Wedderburn. Many of you have been asking why the words on the banner over the Etihad last night are offensive. Taken in isolation, of course they're not, but in context, they absolutely are. They're a deliberate challenge to the Black Lives Matter cause. Now, let's be absolutely clear. Nobody is saying that white lives don't matter. Of course they matter. But please try to understand. Black people's lives are not like those of the white population. We're viewed negatively and with suspicion. We're watched as we walk around shops. We don't hold positions of influence in organizations. A black person in a top business is likely to be on the catering staff or clearing bins. We get stopped and searched by the police. Yes, even television presenters. Life is simply tilted away from us. 
black people have been murdered by members of organizations whose job it is to protect us and there has been no comeback on those people and that's not just in america that's here too our lives have not mattered black lives matter thank you well, this is an important moment. Robbie, mm. any pushback that has come since yeah. the banner flew over the Etihad has been about, as Mike explained there, the confusion as to why that banner was so offensive. He has explained there. Do you think his yeah. explanation hits the absolute right note there? It was spot on, Rebecca, perfect. It, it highlights the complexity of what, what we're, we're fighting against, the, the layers that, that come with, with the racial issues that we're, we're trying to address. What I loved about Mike there, he personalised it, and, and I just want to do the same because I'm hoping that we can kind of continue the conversation and take things forward. As a black man, I now live in, in America, I've almost got two different guises. There's a black man who wears a shirt and tie, who's on TV, who talks in an English voice and gets treated a certain way. There's another black man who wears hoodies and, and sweats and, and lives in a city and comes up against things, Rebecca, and there's three things that I, I would say. There's... The nudge. The nudge is, once a week, once every couple of weeks, you walk into an establishment and you see the nudge go and, and you see heads turn and people look and sometimes laugh and say, that's daily, occur that happens on a, on a regular occurrence. You see the crossover. The crossover is, I might be walking down the street and I see usually a female, in fairness, and I'll see her start to walk and then she'll, she'll get a bag and she'll cross over the road. And then as she crosses over the road, I sort of think to myself, OK, is she going to stay that side? I, I walk along and I turn back and she's crossed back over. There's a stereotype of a black man that, 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 that is fearful. Mike talked about it. Go into a store, and, and, and I call it the man-to-man. -man. The moment I walk in a store that, that's at a certain level, the, the, the security guard will be 10 yards away from me, almost watching my movement. Those are, those are the things that, that happen on a daily basis. Those are the reasons why Black Lives Matter is so important. This time in the world is so important. And I was so saddened that it got hijacked yesterday because we've got still so much work to do. It's a bloody painful conversation to have, this, Kyle. Um, one thing I would say is we've known Robbie for many years um, and hearing that, and I'm sure the viewers at home, hearing that for the first time, actually what Robbie has to go through I know you're getting emotional as well. It's an emotional time, I think, in the studio today. Um, having to hear that, we actually... It's horrible for Robbie to have to tell that story. We have to hear that. And we have to hear what Mike Wedderburn has to say, don't we? That's actually what we, as white people, have to hear. <clears throat> we... <clears throat> I'm sorry. Um, I, I feel so incredibly fortunate to have Robbie in my life. Um, We've become close friends, and these stories break my heart because um, I think everyone uh, you know, is uncomfortable with that truth. And it's okay to be uncomfortable with it. It's not okay to be silent anymore. And um, I, I watched that, that banner go over, and, and, and we saw the photos, and the, the aftermath of people not understanding how that's offensive... It makes you so angry, and, and that was so well explained, but shouldn't have to be. You know, um, there, 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 there's three things, what was said, where it was said, and when it was said, that make it a disgusting act to try to discredit 
one of the most powerful movements for equality to, to move society forward and change the reality that Robbie lives with on a daily basis and a lot of the people we love live with on a daily basis. And so I, 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 I search for optimism and the stupidity and ignorance and abhorrence that we saw yesterday, and I find it in... Um, it's, in, it's impossible to miss the point now. That act has now given so many people a, a reboot to say, let me remind you how important, how integral to society moving forward this movement is and how powerful it is. And I, and I don't think that stupidity mm. is going to do anything to slow the spirit or, or diminish it. And, and that's where I find optimism is how many people are saying that ignorance isn't okay. Yes, yesterday, I obviously this broke. I got a phone call from our producer who said, um, do you want to come in? And I said, no. I said, it's important that this conversation goes between three white people. Because you've got to have these important conversations that are going to take this forward. Yeah. And that's so important. The other thing that gives me hope, and was it Bubba Wallace said yesterday, took off his mask and said, you won't break this smile. And part of it is like, I almost start took off mine and it was like, you won't break our spirit. When Ben Mee says the things he says, if you didn't know, if you didn't see a picture of Ben Mee, you'd think he's black. He's, he, he was going through what we go through. He's seen it through the lens of a black man. That is change. That is progression. That's people standing with you in the fight. And if we can stand together in the fight, Rebecca, we've got a chance. Oh, yeah. We are standing with you. Without a doubt, Robbie, in this fight, and we appreciate your honesty, and we thank you and for we love sharing. You, yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.